Welcome to my own little soapbox, where Andrea Bean Gibson stands up for wives and mothers, daughters and sisters that don't have a platform to discuss what really matters. Join Andrea and her father-in-law, Dr. Brant Gibson, as they discuss things you've wondered about and even some you may never have thought of. Now, on My Own Little Soapbox. Hello, I'm Dr. Brant Gibson. Welcome back. And we're here with one of my favorite people, Andrea. <laughs> and we were supposed to have a guest today, correct? Yes, correct. She's not available. We will bring her on at a later date when that's able to be worked out. So what are we talking about today? So um, we are... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm a little sleepy today. Just going to go ahead and put that right out there. So if that... Um, <laughs> Get, that gets in a way. Bear with me. Um, so. So just in case any of you have never been sleepy, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, no one's been sleepy before. Yeah. No. So today we're actually talking about um, my sort of infatuation with mundane life. Okay. I'm going to make sure they understand what that means. Right. Because you, you can interpret that many ways. It's true. So first things first. Mundane, if you go back to etymology, a mundane is from the word mundus, which means world. So initially, the definition of mundane was things of the world, not spiritual or heavenly. Oh. That's not what we're talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually focused on the what became part of it. As in 1950s, the increase, they started to increase the use of mundane, and it became defined as lacking interest or excitement, dull, normal, average, ordinary. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're focusing on. Right. Yeah. We're talking more about the average, ordinary, uh, somewhat dull. It can, it can be dull, but I'm not talking about like tedious jobs. Although. <laughs> Though that would be fun too. I, I am... I'm really good at tedious jobs, repetitive <laughs> jobs. I can just kind of turn my brain off and, and get stuff done. But that's when your ADHD doesn't affect it. That's true. That is true. Well, usually there's a system in place already with a tedious job. And so my Correct. brain so doesn't just, have to try to create a system. You just do it. Yep. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about today, but it was a nice little tangent. <laughs> um, no, I just, I enjoy learning about how people live. Like, what the, like, minute details of their lives are. Like, current lives and, like, of the past. I just think that's fun. So, So, basically, yeah. the day-to-day -day is what interests you as opposed to the exciting... Exciting with quotation marks, yeah. Right. Right. But, yeah. So, like, I'm not as interested in, like, the wars and stuff. When learning about history, like when I was a kid, um, so I've, I've got to give some context here. I think when I was in sixth grade through eighth grade, I was homeschooled. Um, all the rest, I went to public school, but those three years I was homeschooled. And so I was basically learning history, kind of independent study. Like my whole homeschool is kind of independent study. My mom made lesson plans because she knew how to do that. She was a teacher. So she just made sure I stayed on track and uh, then I just kind of, 
she let me go and just learn, which was awesome. So, but when I was studying history during that time, um, I found it more interesting to learn about just like Joe Schmo and his farm and how his farm run ran instead of like, you know, the revolutions and the wars and the kings and the queens. And Although kings and queens are interesting too if you're learning about like how the castles worked and like um, what Queen Elizabeth wore and why she wore the white face paint and all of that stuff. So that part's interesting. I don't love the politics as much though. So if we're learning about Henry VIII, I would rather learn why Anne of Cleves wore a certain dress than the fact that he beheaded eight wives. Yeah, so (laughs) basically you're focused more on the people and how they live, not on all the stuff that's happening around them. Right, 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 right. So if we're talking about it like in terms of economics, I'm, I'm interested in the microeconomics of how the world works versus the macroeconomics of how the world works. Um, that's a shout out to you, um, uh, Mr. And my mind is blanking. Wow. I can't remember. Shout out. She'll remember here in a second. I will. But the idea here is we're going to, so you're saying, okay, if we go into history mm-hmm. and we're focusing on the individuals, the people, the things that are happening. So let's go, let's kind of give them an example. Okay. Um, for example, you liked learning about people when they went to go buy their bread. Right, exactly, yes, that is one. Real quick, <laughs> Jadams, that's a shout out to you, Mr. <laughs> Adams, um, my my government and econ teacher in high school. I, I know your name, it's just that my brain is slow right now. <laughs> my Adderall's, you know, in my system, I just didn't get enough sleep. So anyway. Um, so we'll go back to bread. And bread. <laughs> Bread, bread, bread. Yes. Okay. So, like, in the Victorian era, um, this especially. So, yeah, I once watched a video focused on the Victorian era, era and their, um, their food availability. Because around that time, it stopped just being, like, agriculture. Everybody was, you know, making their own food. They started, they started, um industrializing that's the word i want and so cities started being a thing so people had to buy from markets instead of growing their own food and making their own food so um the housewife would go out and and look for bread for dinner instead of making the bread you know uh, probably it was also very common for them to make their bread but they they really started going to markets and buying at this point um and so one of the things that these wives were looking for was the whitest loaf of bread that they could find. That was, in their eyes, that was the most desirable thing to find in their bread was that it would be white. Because that's not normal, actually. Yeah. So in, at that time, you figure most, if you've ever had real homemade wheat bread, typically mm-hmm. it's brown. Right. Because of the the wheat because itself. Wheat and so brown. that's just the way it's going to be. Right. And they were looking for white bread because most likely it was considered a higher quality or higher status bread because it was white. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like white bread like we think of now where it's just like the germ has been, not the germ, the, I learned this in my baking class and now I can't remember 
the right words. Anyway, yeah, so you're left, yeah, no, you're taking out the germ of the wheat when you're making white flour. You take out the germ. Um, and so that, that's not what they were doing. They, <laughs> so it's, yeah, we think of bread, especially white bread, we think of a, like a brown crust and in the center it's white. Right. That's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a white crust white as well. Yeah, yes. everything white. And so the bakers would add things like chalk and harmful chemicals that would actually end up poisoning poisoning people. Um, but it's still what they bought and it's what they coveted. Um, in the video, actually, there was a um, the <laughs> there was a presenter and she offered her guest um, two choices of bread. Um, and both she had baked. One um, was sort of a, a stodgier looking sort of short, shorter loaf. It was very white. Um, and the other one was like a big substantial wheat loaf of bread. Um, and to us and to also the lady that was picking between these two breads, we would say, let's let's go for the bigger, fuller, brown loaf because that looks like it's got the nutrients in it you know it looks healthier looks better for you but in the victorian age they would have gone for the shorter whiter bread because that was just the status you know the status symbol that they were looking for at that point i mean they didn't have to make it themselves that was proof that it was purchased because it was white i would is probably the way i would look at it that's probably yeah that's probably right it's been a while since i've seen that video um but i think they offered some explanations for why they would do that but i just thought it was crazy because it looked like like a biscuit or like hardtack but like breadified like you would think of (laughs) and but it and so it didn't look good to me and it didn't look good to the lady choosing either but um that's that's what they would have chosen back then. So that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. You watch a lot of videos. I do. I, I like learning stuff. So I, I watch a lot of videos that offer insight new, on information, right. new information. New insights, new information. Yeah. Kind of help you understand people a little bit more. Yeah. So what's another video that kind of comes to your mind? So, yeah, I watched another video about hygiene in, in around the same time period. It was when plumbing was starting to become popular in the home. Um, and these early bathtubs actually is are one of the things that stuck out to me the most um, in this in this video. They had a tub that was like a big metal basin, right? Um, and the the source of the heat for the water instead of boiling it you know like like they would have to do because they didn't have hot water that was just pumped into their house with a water heater they would boil the water and then bathe in it after it cooled down a bit um or you know they added cold water to cool it down whatever so that was how the baths worked before but this new revolutionary bath that they had during this period of industrialization was dangerous so it had a it had a furnace that would heat the water attached to the tub the basin so they would run in regular temperature water to this furnace and the furnace was would heat it up and then it would dump it into the into the tub that's a fabulous new invention for whomever was like boiling their water back then for for a bath but it also led to a lot of scalding 
It was right. not a safe invention. You don't have control of the temperature. No. So let me give you an example. So a couple, I guess it's been almost 30 years. I shouldn't admit that. But about 30 <laughs> years ago, I was in Brazil. And the way they would heat their water at that time for showers is through electric shower heads. Oh, no. So basically, you're running electricity through a shower head then running water through it. Oh. And it worked okay. It was not really warm water, of course. Um, but if you touch the shower head or sometimes even touch the knob to turn it on, you get shocked. And oh. this is 220 volts, not, not 120. Oh, no. And so it was an interesting learning experience to touch it and have it blow you against the wall (laughs) but so they hadn't moved much past that in Mm. all those years which is kind of interesting yeah well i mean it's It's availability of the technology and and whatnot and and cost of the technology is the other piece but but yeah and my daughter went there just a couple years ago and I don't think she had any electric shower heads. So. Well, that's good. So maybe they've moved past that. <laughs> At least they've moved past that now. <laughs> but you no, know, that kind of reminds me actually of there's a I'm going to I talk about Parks and Rec in this podcast a lot, I feel like, but I'm going to bring it up again because there's <laughs> an episode of Parks and Rec where um Ron Swanson goes around fixing things in Andy and April's house. <laughs> he brings up um the fact that there is like a, a light fixture over their shower, but it's got exposed wires above it. And Andy just says, yeah, I call that shock wire. Because if you touch it, you die. <laughs> and Ron just goes, that is correct. <laughs> he fixes it for them, though. So that's his wedding gift to them is fixing things around their house. Oh, shock yeah, wire. that's. That's a bit of a tangent, but that's what you were reminded that's what, that's me of. That's what brought it up. Yeah. It, was, it was also in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also shocky. <laughs> so you watched another video. Yes. About 18th century dress. Oh, yeah. No, I, okay, so that one was more recent, so I remember more about that one. Um, so in this video, the woman had spent several weeks for her job dressing in 18th century dress. Um, I, she never specified what she did, but I assume it was some sort of tour guide or something. Renaissance, yeah. Renaissance type Renaissance fairs or something like that. Fairs or, yeah, something to do with historical tourism. Something. Something like that. She never mentioned. But, so she spent weeks in 18th century dress and she was kind of sharing what she learned from that experience. Um, and something that she said... Anyway, I found this video super interesting, I should say, because we're talking about why I find these things interesting, right? I should say I found this super interesting because she was demonstrating this firsthand knowledge that she had um, wearing these clothes. And these these are basically like handmade clothes that she's wearing. I don't know where she got them. She never said. But um, it, it was just, it was so fascinating because she had a lot of insight onto why these people were dressing this way. You know, we think of people in the past as like, oh, they're so silly. You know, they, they didn't know about this and this and this and this. They're so, you know, we're so evolved now or whatever. But honestly, no, they were just doing the smartest thing that they could based on the technology that they had. So the way that they would dress, if you think about I'm, I'm talking like specifically female um, clothing because 
um, she is not a man and she didn't wear male clothing. Um, so we're talking about dresses here. Um, so the reason that they would wear these big flowy dresses uh, was because they had to worry about keeping warm. They, they didn't have central heating. They didn't have AC in their buildings. So they legitimately had to dress for the weather, how it was outside. Even if they were spending all day inside, they had to dress however the weather was going to be that day. Right. And it's not like they could go to JCPenney and just buy their clothes all the time. So they had to have pieces that would work for different things. So that's why they had so many pieces and layers of clothing um, to go one on top of the other because the hotter it is, the fewer layers you would wear. The colder it is, the more layers you would put on. Um, And actually the... The science behind that is the the best way to dress for cold is in layers because right. the body allow because that allows the body to regulate the temperature easier because you're you're using the different layers to warm the air between basically is kind of a, a, a simple way of thinking about it. So advantage if you're in layers you can take one layer off if you're too hot or you can add a layer if you're too cold. Exactly, and that's what they did. They did that not just day to day, but they did that for their whole wardrobe for the whole year because that's how they had to do it these they had to make their clothes and so they needed to have pieces that would work for whatever the season was um yeah and so yeah they just had a bunch they had skirts and aprons and i don't even know all the names of the pieces of clothing that they wore (laughs) but um and over underneath these skirts they would wear petticoats and you know if it got colder they'd have those layers of petticoats and if it got hot they would ditch the petticoats and um, and they chose to wear like long sleeved and breathable fabrics when it was hot. Um, and that's not stupid. They're not being dumb by wearing long sleeves in the heat. What they're doing is keeping the sun off of them. They didn't have sunblock, so they were keeping the sun off of their arms and, um, but they were wearing cotton, you know, which is very breathable and it's, it's good for, um, this summer. <laughs> well, and the, the truth is it works actually significantly better than a lot of times the stuff we wear out, mm-hmm. out of doors because with cotton, it will actually absorb the moisture too. So any slight breeze will cool you off yeah. as opposed to saying, okay, I got to go inside and turn the air conditioner on. Right. Yeah. So they could be wherever they needed to be. And of course, these are very flammable materials. So if they had the fire going in, in the winter and all these petticoats, that was, that was not the best. But... They, they had to do what they had to do, you know. They weren't going to just sit in the cold and, and suffer. Um, so, yeah, these these dresses, they really wore, were more function than fashion for them. I mean, they were, they were beautiful. If you look at pictures of 18th century clothing, it's beautiful. It's, you know, very elegant and um, flattering. But it really existed to serve a purpose. Their clothes really were for a purpose. Our clothes today, they mostly just they they serve two purposes the first is to cover us the second is to um look nice but you can't really hide oh that's the thing actually i forgot to mention in my notes but in this video she talks about how nothing is left up to the imagination in our clothes today correct so uh in some some are worse than others right 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 but even what I'm wearing right now, I'm just wearing like a pair of leggings and a t-shirt. In the 18th century clothing, 
you could hide every little role, every little imperfection um, in your body that you didn't want to see. So it, it there wasn't as big of a pressure to make your body, change your body to look different because you could just put on clothes and the clothes would hide whatever you wanted them to hide. Um, but today there's a lot of pressure that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is that our clothes don't hide anything. In these leggings, you can tell, you know, the shape of my legs. And in the t-shirt that I'm wearing, you can tell that I haven't lost my baby weight yet. And, but um, if you had a bit more of a tummy back then, you just cinched your petticoat, or not petticoat, your corset. <laughs> your, your corset. You just cinched your corset a little bit looser. And then you still looked skinny, but you also had room to breathe. And you didn't have to feel like you had to change your body for those purposes. And the laces on the corsets actually are brilliant because if you are changing weight, like if you say a very rich person actually loses all of their money and has to start working on a farm and they lose a bunch of weight, they can wear the same corset because it's got laces on it. And so it's going to... You can snug it up more. You can snug it up more. Yeah. If you eat too much in a meal, you can loosen it again. We'll be right back with my own little soapbox after this brief message. Have you ever wanted to get more done in less than half the time? What if you could finish your projects five times faster? Hello, my name is Dr. Brent Gibson, and I have often wished I had more hours in the day. As a physician with 11 children, my life is really busy. I am constantly looking for a way to squeeze more into each day. Can you imagine what it would be like if I had 25, 26, or even 27 hours? That is why I started a journey and have read hundreds of self-help and self-improvement books. I have paid thousands for business coaches and even life coaches while also spending hours taking courses and learning everything I could. I found many helpful options, but I have always had one nagging problem. I could still get distracted, discouraged, and even procrastinate something I wanted or needed to get done. After years of searching, I found a powerful solution that has given me the ability to accomplish five times more in that same 24-hour period. So everyone else has 24 hours, but by doing these simple tasks, these simple processes, I was able to grab additional hours in the day without getting those hours. And this is a revolutionary book. It is important to me that you get your day back, that you get more time. So I have purchased a copy of this book for you and all that you have to pay is shipping and handling. In this book, Unhackable by Carrie Oberbrunner, you are given the steps to close the gap between dreaming and doing in just 30 days. 30 daily missions to give you back control of your life and give you more time. It continues to work for me and I want to give it to you so that you can start reaching your goals, living your dream, and enjoying the extraordinary life you were born to live. So go ahead, visit www.beunhackable.com books and get your free book in the mail. That's www.beunhackable.com books. Isn't it time to become unhackable so you can accomplish more in a fraction of the time? www.beunhackable.com 
slash books. Get yours today. Welcome back to My Own Little Soapbox with Andrea Gibson. Um, you learned a little bit more about corsets too, didn't you? The, I did. I did. Okay, we're going to get a little bit um, not explicit. Just if, if you're prudish, you're not going to love this part. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so yeah, it, corsets are super cool. I actually learned, this is not the same video, but um, I learned a lot about corsets from a history post that I read online. And I, I loved that post so much that I actually had my husband get me a corset for, <laughs> for Christmas, just for wearing, because they're super good back support. They help you not to slouch and they um, give support to the muscles in your back so that you can be re feel relaxed, but also not like sitting in it. I'm sitting up straight now because I just, we're talking about posture. You just thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can sit in a way that is comfortable, but it's going to hold you up so that you're not missing. Yeah, you're supported. You're not misusing your back muscles. And you can move, you know, more freely, actually. People think of corsets as like these cages of the patriarchy. But actually, um, a lot of the things that they wore in the 18th century, men were not a huge fan of. Corsets were one of them. Um, as, and as long as they're not like tightened so tight that they're restrictive or not letting you breathe or something like that they're actually healthier for you than wearing a bra um most of the time well and i think that's probably the misconception of corsets is because in most movies nowadays when they show them putting them on they mm -hmm. kind of tighten them as tight as they can right. possibly get them mm -hmm. which is not typically the way they were worn. no they weren't worn that way they were worn to be comfortable and to give to um lend support I'm reminded of that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean when, yeah, when you said that, where she's <laughs> having her dress tightened that her father just bought for her. And she says, well, women in London must have learned not to breathe, but that's not really how they would have worn that. And then, you know, later she goes on to pass out and <laughs> fall into the river. <laughs> um, but that's, that's not how they would have worn them. They would have worn them sens sensibly, um, not everything that they did was sensible, but that was one of the things that they would have done sensibly. And yeah, of course, it's really good for your boobs, ladies. So get yourself a couple. I don't wear mine very often. I need to wear it more often. Anyway, <laughs> but the, you know, the other thing that was like super interesting to learn about were the hoop skirts. So you think about these big skirts that they wore in, um, you know, back in the day, I don't have a specific time period because those were popular for a long time. Right. Um, but they, you know, they had those big old bustles in the back and they just like float in front of you and in behind you and to the sides. Um, and you, you know, you could layer those petticoats underneath. That was the main, the main pull for them because they were functional. <laughs> they kept you warm or they kept you cool. Um, and, and you stayed comfortable, you know, you didn't have layers and layers of fabric just resting right on your legs it was just it was you know they're <laughs> they're sort of hourglassed and draped that's the word i wanted they're draped, they're draped yeah. in a way that it's comfortable but still warm and um, look good typically yeah and back when hoop skirts weren't a thing like 
bathrooms also kind of weren't like they had privies and like little holes and and stuff so if you needed to go potty and you were outside then you could just walk away from other people um and just squat down where you were and pee with complete discretion no one was would even know you had a tent over you yeah because you had a tent over you and their underwear wasn't exactly our underwear it was another skirt so all you had to do was just pee um which i think that sounds great except for you know the fact that there would be pee then in you know where people are i don't like that but (laughs) i do love the idea of not having to go far um yeah no but that's that's the other thing so i mentioned that corsets were something that the the men hated actually back in the day and hoof skirts were the same the guys hated them back when they were popular because the woman would be wearing a giant bone reinforced skirt um that's physically blocking them from touching the woman without her permission so thank you hoop skirts like these basically you had a cage per- around you that protected yeah. you from yeah unnecessary advances yeah and the men did not like that in this um the same post that i read about corsets on um they were talking about hoop skirts and there were several satirical cartoons mocking women for wearing these hoop skirts and the main theme of all of them was that they couldn't reach the women anymore. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was funny because, I mean, you you don't need to unless you're married to her. Leave her alone. <laughs> and if you're married to her, then, you know, you have private times for less, that. Less need for me too if you have a hoop skirt. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying that <clears throat> it's the woman's... It's not. It's not correct. the woman's responsibility to make sure she's not being touched. It is the man's responsibility to make sure she's not. He's keep, not touching. To keep his hands to himself. Right. We were taught. I was taught that as a kid. Exactly. You don't. I mean, you don't go around touching people just because. And I'm not even touching talking about anything more than just reaching over to your brother and touching him on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. We were taught that you don't. That you keep your hands to yourself. That's exactly. Really, what we were taught. Keep your hands to yourself, and it's nobody's. What was I going to say? I really wish that I had gotten sleep. Yeah, it's nobody's right to touch you. Um, No matter what you're wearing, no matter what you're doing. um, And no matter who you are. And no matter who you are. So, yeah. People are, anyway, that's another It's not just history. No, it's not. It's, yeah. I I just find facts like that super cool about back then and about now. So, I used this example actually on the phone today with my sister. Um, I said if a stranger struck up a conversation with me in line at a grocery store, I would want them to tell me all about how they live. Like, I would want some of the boring details about their favorite hobbies. Like, tell me everything. (laughs) Tell me what favorite holiday traditions you celebrate. Tell me... Do you prefer to brush your teeth before breakfast or after breakfast in the morning? Do you even brush your teeth in the morning? Some people don't. Um, Just tell me how you live. Like, small talk is fine. Yeah, sure, it's cold outside and it's sunny, so it looks like you want to go outside, which that's bothering me right now, actually. It's springtime and I just want to be outside, but it's too cold. Um, Looks warm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's not what I want to chat to you about, though. Like, just tell me about how your life is looking. And it's not like I'm trying to creep on you. I I just I'm not going around asking people when they brush their teeth. I'm I'm just 
you know, I'm interested. So you're talking about, tell me about your family, or you're going even more granular than that? Like, yeah, sure, tell me about your family, but also tell me things about your day-to-day, you know? If you... If you want to tell me, like, your preference for chocolate cream pie over pumpkin, let's discuss that. Um, I want to know why you feel that way. Like, I'm all ears, babe. Like, <laughs> I'd love to talk to s- about someone's hobbies in detail, too. That This is why I am a good wife for my husband. Because he loves to talk about the things that he's interested in um, in great detail. And I will just sit and eat that up, even if it's not something I'm interested in. He is... Um, studying computer science right now and learning all about coding and most of it goes over my head just because I'm not very familiar with coding but he loves to explain it to me and I love to listen to it I just love to sit and hear him talk Uh, (laughs) I just want to hear about people's interests and their hobbies and not just hobbies though like anyway um I really want to be able to be like that's the thing Okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking in circles here. I'm all over the place. But the thing is, I like feeling like I'm a part of people's existence or like a part of people's existence lives in me. So I I really want to be able to be like, I just met this lady who breeds canaries and she told me something really interesting about raising baby canaries and then give that fact, you know? This is just an example. I don't actually have a cool canary fact. I wish I did though. You need to find someone that likes canaries. Exactly. Somebody, somebody tell me if you raise canaries and, and then tell me, tell me about that process. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just like to have facts that they have absolutely nothing to do with me. I am not interested in raising birds. Um, I am slightly of the opinion that keeping birds in a cage and not letting them fly is a little bit cruel. Um, I'm not out there protesting it or anything. And if you have a bird, it's fine. But it's just not my preference. Andrea won't have a bird. I will not have a bird. Uh, Ryan might do falconry, but that's different because the bird gets to fly. Right. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, I just want to break out that fact that, you know, those, these little bits, they don't have anything to do with me, like I said, but they have everything to do with that lady's passion for canaries you know and it's it's just like I get to share a little part of their lives and like feel a little tiny bit of what it's like to be them and that's really that's really what I'm interested in here is feeling like I can kind of understand either the people around me or the people who came before me that's really what I'm interested in so really, it's not the mundane, Mm-mm. but you want to know people at the granular level. You want to yeah. know them, and who they are, and what makes them who they are, yeah. not just why are they considered an important person. Yeah, exactly. No, that's so true. One of the most interesting things, some of the most interesting things that I've learned about the founding fathers are things like they used to have like um, parties where they would all get diseases together and I don't remember exactly what diseases that they were I'm really hoping it wasn't syphilis though that's the only disease that's coming to my brain um but they would have these parties where they would get together and they would all get sick together and which by the way people are doing that now don't do that um it's a it's a bad idea um but and they you know you you brought up in our ice cream recipe that was it Thomas Jefferson Mm-hmm. That Thomas Jefferson had 
a favorite ice cream recipe. And I found that so fascinating because then it's just like a little piece of his real actual life. You know, you, you learn about everything that Thomas Jefferson did and um, why he was important to history. And like you said, I just want to know how he lived. What, what did he do? You know, I, and I think... Um, well, I, I'm with you. It'd be, it'd be really interesting to say, okay, what was George Washington's daily life like? Right. Not when he was president, not when he was the general leading the Revolutionary War, but when he was just home yeah. on his farm. Yeah. What did it look like? What, did, what kind of things did he do? What did he enjoy doing? Exactly. What were his favorite things? What were some of the things that maybe bothered him about life? You know, everybody's got their pet peeves. What was one of his, you know? Um, so what she's saying yeah. here is if you have some things that make you unique, make you who you are, mm-hmm. she would love to hear about them. Yeah. And not ju- and it's not just like about your personality or whatever. Like, oh, the dating questions, first date questions. You know, what what's your favorite book? What's your favorite movie? What uh what do you what are your hobbies? You know, that's not what I I want to know how you live. Not not just the little. Not just the little things. I, because. She doesn't want the cliff notes. Yeah, I don't want, that's exactly right. Exactly right. I, I want to read the biography. I don't want to read the cliff notes because it's just more interesting. When I was a teenager and going to, um, I'm LDS, so we had dances once a month when I was a teenager, which was fun. I enjoyed that. It was good, wholesome, fun, well-supervised and not raunchy like a bunch of school dances are. Anyway, um, when I would go to these dances and dance with different boys, they would always ask the same questions. What, they would ask, you know, what's your favorite movie? What kind of books do you like? And those are great too. I love movies. I love books. I like to talk about those things. Um, but it, and it ended up being that people would have the same like off off topic questions what's the word I want like they they would try to be unique by using these questions but they would all be the same I can't tell you yeah I can't tell you how many people asked me what color my toothbrush was because they thought that it was new (laughs) and it wasn't and I'd be like I don't remember it might be red I don't know (laughs) um but yeah I started asking people what their favorite kind of pie was because that's just not something that people really talk about unless it's Thanksgiving or something. Um, but it's, it's just details about people and their lives that I enjoy. That's what I like. Perfect. Well, we actually covered the time really well today. I'm sure we did. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea here is that mundane can actually be very interesting yeah. if you look at it the right way. Right. And there are things in your life that... Make it a neat story. Yeah. Even if you're just sitting. Like, I don't know. You you're you are important however you're living your life. And if everything about you makes you unique, actually, everything about you makes you extraordinary. Yeah. Because there is nobody just like you. Exactly. There's there's a quote that I really like, um, that I once saw online. Um and if you're a Harry Potter fan, you'll, you'll understand. 
If you ever think that you are ordinary, just picture how excited Arthur Weasley would be to meet you and ask you all of these questions <laughs> um, because he's very interested in the way that non-magical people work. Right. Um, and I'm kind of the same way, although everybody's magical to me. And that's what I was going to say. And you can now add to your repertoire of quotes, if you ever think that you're ordinary and not extraordinary, Andrew would love to talk to you and show you how excited she gets yeah. about who you are. No, legitimately, that is exactly what is true. And there's one more thing I want to bring up. I know that we're trying to wrap it up here, but... <laughs> <laughs> I always start early wrapping it up because yeah. it takes us a minute. Usually. It does take us a minute because my, my brain is just kind of everywhere. I forgot to put this in my notes, but I meant to when I was making them. Um, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Dubliners. It's taken me a little bit of time to read it because I am a mom. Um, <laughs> but it's so interesting to me because every chapter... I, have I talked about this book on the you podcast before? Oh, good. Good. Because then it's a treat um, for me. <laughs> Uh, so every chapter is a short story of just a blip in someone's life of, I don't remember the time period, but I believe it was the the early 1900s um, in Dublin, Ireland. And yeah, each, each chapter, it's not even, they don't even resolve sometimes. Some of the time they don't even resolve. It's just a, like a blip of someone's life. There, there was one about a girl who um was no it wasn't about the girl it was about the mother it was a mother who ran a boarding house because her husband because she had to leave her husband because he was abusive um she ran the boarding house and her daughter worked there with her and um the daughter i believe became pregnant i think um and, and so the whole story was the mother, you got the perspective of the mother waiting to meet with the, the man who had impregnated her daughter living at the boarding house. And you got the perspective of the man who was about to go talk to the mother. And you got the perspective of the daughter who was pregnant. Um, and I don't even know if they resolved it. I think they, they hinted that they were going to get married. But... Um, it just ended, you know, it wasn't definitive. It just ended. And then another chapter started and it was about a whole new family and a whole new situation. And it was just so interesting. They're not all, they're not all that way. They're mostly, um, innocent enough. Um, but that was just the first one that popped into my head. Each chapter stands on its own like that. And it's just a window into these people's lives. And it's so interesting. So if you're interested in, the mundane, like I am, go and read The Dubliners. It's a book that I got from my sister-in-law when they moved to England. She gave me a bunch of their books, and I am just thoroughly enjoying it. It's so good. And that's by James Joyce, it looks like. Ah, yes, that is correct. Okay. So James Joyce, The Dubliners, if you want to have short stories about, I guess we'd say, the mundane. Yeah. that's what we're talking it about. It really is. It's about the mundane. And the thing I like about it is as a mother, well, one of the things I like about it is as a mother who's busy, I can read a chapter and then be done and come back and I don't have to remember the whole plot because they're just short. As long as you finish your chapter, you yeah. finish the story. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, perfect. 
Well, this has been really fun. Actually, it's been kind of interesting. Yeah. And once we got you past your pauses at the beginning, <laughs> oh we, man, I'm still you got really a into loopy. it. But yeah, I'm super into this topic. I'm just tired. <laughs> so great. That's that's been really fun. So what are we going to talk about next week? I probably should have the notes for this already, but I don't. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking that so, up. So yeah. So as you know, a couple weeks ago. We actually talked about water. Yes. And we're inviting you to go back to that and listen to it again or have people that you know listen to it. Because for every listen that that gets, we actually donate a day's worth of water to a to a, individuals in Tanzania, I think it is, if I remember right. And that allows them to get clean water for that day. So... So keep, keep looking back. So what are we talking about next week? Yes. Okay. So next week, <laughs> um, I had a choice between two actually for next week. And I think I'm going to go with the second one. Um, I don't like beans. And yes, I understand the irony because my maiden name is Bean. I think that's the reason she doesn't. That's we'll not talk, the we'll reason. We'll talk about it next time. That is not the reason, my friends. That is not the reason but we'll talk about it next time so okay thanks for being here yep. if you'd like to comment if you'd like to share your mundane details or whatever please jump on and tell this and please let other people know about this podcast because andrea would love to talk to them yeah Thank you for listening to My Own Little Soapbox with Andrea Bean Gibson and Dr. Brandt Gibson. We'll be back next week with another discussion from Andrea's Soapbox. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know and share it with your friends, too. And if there's a subject you would like considered, please leave a comment so Andrea can discuss it in a future episode. My Own Little Soapbox. My own little soapbox. soapbox.